0: Lawyers think like that David and Goliath story. And we talk about it a lot champion against the big corporations. But like, this isn't David and Goliath. This is where the reality comes in. Wall Street's the Goliath that never loses. You're talking about trillions of dollars. Welcome to a special edition of the
1: Game Changing Attorney Podcast, recorded live at the 2022 Game Changers Summit on the field of Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Everyone here is broke, has zero dollars compared to Wall Street. John Morgan's broke. So, yeah, if you're going to play the next game, you got to learn that business.
1: I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of CRISP, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. CRISP started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. Today, we're featuring my conversation about building the law firm of the future with the founder of Johnson Firm and America's techiest lawyer, Anthony Johnson, the founding partner of Meriwether & Tharp, Bob Tharp, the CEO of Alexander Shannara Trial Attorneys, Alexander Shannara, and the co-founder and managing partner of Chafin Luhana, Eric
2: Chafin. To me, the way to compete in terms of the Wall Street money coming in is to create the best client service so that when the clients need an excellent trial attorney, they're with your firm because the trial attorneys believe in your culture, what you're able to do, the catastrophic injury case. They know how to handle the clients, how to counsel them, not just getting them through the trial, but to help them heal as well. That's coming up on
1: the Game Changing Attorney podcast. Before we begin today's episode i want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast this allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered i'm not going to push any made to order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance that being said i have one small request if you receive any value from this podcast please give it a five-star review pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free all right gentlemen thank you for joining me i'm incredibly honored Let's kick things off. We call this the Law Firm of the Future panel because we want to really talk about where, where you see lawyers and law firms, what does it look like over the next five years, 10 years, and really just what is that situation? What can we do to prepare for that? AJ, we'll start with you. Voted America's techiest lawyer. I think you're going to be the most controversial. So
0: <laughs> kick us off. You know, it takes a long time for industry to shift. I would say that the legal industry as a whole, I mean, pretty much agree, we're kind of behind the curve of technology. And I think a lot of the ethics rules and some of those things are the reasons. But I think we're also very smart people and there's a lot of money in the industry. So I think it's gonna move fast. So in five to 10 years, I would say there's gonna be a much bigger budget allocation towards things like coaching, what a lot of industries call BPOs, business process or you know, outsourcing, than technology. Cause like you said, it starts with people, process, then tech. So I think we'll automate a lot of things. Like I've always said, moving a paragraph from here to there should never be something you get paid for as a lawyer. It was very controversial when Rocket Lawyer and those guys were coming out. But I think there's value in fighting for the clients and some of the consulting and thinking and decision makings we do as a lawyer that should be valued more. So I think that substitution happens.
1: All right, Alex, I want to call on you. So we've talked about VCs, hedge funds, private equity coming into this space. And we talk about it. People think, hey, this is going to be some future
3: thing. What's your experience been? Are these, uh, are they real? Are they for real? Are they having these conversations? I knew he was going to ask me this question, but yes. uh, So in investigating and trying to get an understanding of the ABSs and private equity, I spent a week in New York last week and uh, I met with several. And I was shocked at the interest that they had in coming in the legal space. And just being very honest and transparent, I was offered, I have 45,000 cases and I was offered a tremendous amount of money for my law firm. But a part of it was they wanted to also deploy some money behind it and keep it on for a number of years and build it out more nationally. And then, Bob, I know you're yep. data obsessed. If there's somebody on this planet who runs
1: one of the most successful family law practices in the country, incredible focus on data metrics, KPIs, where do you see that going in terms of leveraging data?
4: You know, I like to think that um, we're going to keep moving forward. You yeah, know, well, when it comes to practice, when VC comes in, when all these equity cards come in, what they're really looking at is at your numbers. And you need to make sure that you're hitting the fundamentals everywhere you can. So when I look at it, I sit there going, if you're not already, you need to think about the business side of your practice. And we need to get over our fear of KPIs. I think a lot of people like, you know, what, what is it? We all do them. There's not a firm owner in here that doesn't have a KPI. At least they have a tax return. They have a profit. They have expenses. The trick is going, why do I have that profit? Why do I have this income? And then trying to improve every little step along the way. And Eric, yesterday, Kevin O'Leary
1: was talking about when, I mean, actually even John Morgan was saying that when he's looking at potentially acquiring another law firm, he's really looking at the people and the importance of culture. And I know this is something that you've heavily emphasized at Chapin Luhana, if you could speak to that.
2: Yeah, you know, Michael, I think... uh... For us, you know, 10, 12 years ago when we started our firm, we had one core value, doing good by doing right. And I think we had an idea of what that meant to us personally. But to be able to clarify that vision and then communicate across the firm, it's been a rallying call for us. I think it's actually something now, you know, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, you didn't see many law firms working in the communities, uh, having a foundation, showing what they're able to do for impact for their clients. But then more broadly... It's something we've been doing since day one. And I think it is something that we all feel good about. It actually is something we have to do because of tort reform. And I think it's only going to get worse is the, you know, the Google law firms, the other firms that are there and just so big and people feel like numbers. I think the more we can share that we're involved in the community is just critically important. And I think, uh, you know, it's just, it's something we really rally behind. And Alex, so... I don't know how many people know this. I mean, many of them, many people know you as a very
1: aggressive advertiser with a lot of billboards, doing a lot of traditional media for years. You've grown the brand, but I don't know that a lot of people know how you've shifted your budget allocation in terms of media over the years, if you could speak to that.
3: Well, up until 2017, we were 100% traditional. The only term I knew was SEO. But in 2017, I obviously saw things changing we're probably 70-30 now in digital. We still have some traditional in the states that we've known. So 70% digital. 70% wow. digital. It's allowed me to grow a national practice right now. And AJ, you've got the best shoes up here. <laughs> so
1: yesterday, Kevin O'Leary is talking about the importance of data. Data new oil. We've done a podcast. You said the exact same thing. If you could speak to that specifically from a law firm context, why is
0: data so valuable? Yeah, it's interesting. It's been was I think it was like 10 years ago almost whenever data became more valuable than oil. So I thought that was an interesting shift when I first saw it. I think it's fascinating without overcomplicating the answer that lawyers are in telling stories, especially trial lawyers. That's our job. And the only difference between that and like a novelist is it has to be based on the truth. Information. It's data, right? Whether it's to your practice or your clients or anything else. And so if you have more data and if you have a way to take it and create Business information allows you to make a decision better. That's the whole thing. So I think this trend right now, we're finally in a point in time where you can get everyone's data. Like there's no privacy anymore. We lost that battle long time ago. It's either no one knows it or everyone does. So if you need information, it's just about going and looking for it, knowing how to use data, how to buy it, how to manipulate it for your purpose as a lawyer. Bob. Speaking
1: to you as as a family law practice, one of the largest in the nation. Now they usually don't grow as big as you. How many lawyers, how many staff? We have about 40 lawyers, but 100 staff. 40 lawyers, 100 staff. What do you think is the reason why you've been able to grow your practice so much? And what do you think is the reason why many practices like yours struggle to really expand?
4: The challenge is trying to understand where is the profitability points and it's taking every little measurable. The difference with family law is you have a billable hour generally. You know what your margins are going to be. You know how many hours people are going to bill. It's really sitting down and comparing those versus your metrics. And you know, one thing I advocate, you know, getting that executive dashboard out there so that you can sort of have a firm grasp from where you are. We have, you know, numbers that will tell you the capacity needed. So, you know, when you need a span and frankly, when you shouldn't. So I think it's just, you know, using the data, um, just getting there and what do you do with it? All right. Now, here's the thing. I want to make sure this is
1: valuable for everybody here. I love you guys. I don't want to pull any punches. If you decide not to answer, you can say next question. But Bob, you mentioned this billable hour model. But what do you see as the future?
4: The future is not billable hours. The marketplace is going to dictate it. So for, you know, family law firms and other firms that are on a billable hour model, that's not where the consumers want. They don't want just unending, unknown expenses coming at them. So I think the future holds. There's going to be more flat rates. There are going to be expectations for the total cost of the case. You want to go to a, a car mechanic and say, hey, fix my car. And they say, well, I'll put really hard work in and I'll bill some hours and I'll let you know when it's done. And by the way, we don't know what it's going to be and how long it's going to take. So I think consumers want that type of security and that's going to be critical to the future. Yeah. And then Alex, I have a question for you
1: in the sense that as you've grown your practice now, you've grown from being the go-to firm in Alabama to now a national firm. If you were somehow exiled from Alexander Shannara trial
3: attorneys, how would you overcome that? How would you come back and just defeat yourself, defeat the firm? I would definitely start with the uh, infrastructure. I would probably go seek wall street money or someone who would back me since i understand the space and i would just build it from day one i would deploy i would hire the best trial attorneys i'd get the best data people i'd get the capital i would get the infrastructure and i would go all digital probably now you say get the capital this is interesting because
1: even the firm today is approaching 100 million dollars in revenue and you're saying get the capital so what do you mean by that?
3: Well, I mean, you need the capital because, I mean, everybody, I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, it's been mentioned. I mean, when Wall Street decides to come in, they did it in the 80s with real estate. They've done it with the health care. They did it and, and they're coming and they're selling. They just want to make legal services better, a better experience for legal services. We're not yeah, I, talking about a few million dollars, right? We're talking no, about... we're talking about billions of dollars. I was going to say,
0: I think it's so funny. Lawyers lawyers think like that David and Goliath story, and we talk about it a lot, champion against the big corporations, but it's like this isn't David and Goliath. This is where the reality comes in. Wall Street's the Goliath that never loses. You're talking about trillions of dollars. Everyone here is broke, has zero dollars compared to Wall Street. John Morgan's broke. So yeah, if you're going to play the next game, you got to learn that business.
3: I think that, and I hate to say this, but I do think that, like we see Aspen Dental, we're going to see some firm, I don't know the name of the firm, and they'll awesome. be with 150 locations offering some type of legal services. And Eric, I'm curious, when you and I met, you were already successful, running a phenomenal
1: mass tort practice and, and also having leadership in a lot of the various litigations. And it's interesting to hear kind of the evolution of the firm of building out technology within the firm, and if you could speak to that.
2: Yeah, you know, I think um, for us, we really just embrace where things are headed, you know, and I think a lot of people in the room, you're probably sitting now, as we all alluded to and talked about the last couple of days, is, you know, that fear of Wall Street money coming in and what that's going to change for the world. And so Chris Becks, for example, and hanging out with guys like Alex, Anthony, others having these discussions about big data and what's the direction of it. And so we've just fully embraced it. You know, Cy Wakeman, to me, is just an important discussion, not just for our staff, our team members, but for ourselves. And so if you truly embrace change, you know, you're already focused on data, you're already focusing on that from a marketing perspective, KPIs, where things are headed in the future is really customer service. To me, the way to compete in terms of the Wall Street money coming in is to create the best client service so that when the clients need an excellent trial attorney, they're with your firm because the trial attorneys believe in your culture, what you're able to do, the catastrophic injury case, they know how to handle the clients, how to counsel them, not just getting them through the trial, but to help them heal as well. And so for us, embrace the data, move with it, and don't make that the only thing, but make it a piece of the puzzle. Now, I want to do a quick pivot because,
1: AJ, for being somebody so data-obsessed, so metric-driven, so technology-focused, it seems like over the past few years, you've, you've started to look at the things that are sometimes difficult to measure when you look at culture, when you look at just team alignment, all those things.
0: How's your perspective changed on that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, me and you have similar personalities and i'm not saying that anecdotally i know we've taken multiple tests and we pretty much scored the same on all of them i think it's just me too as an engineer and as being like a self-reliant person i'm very much a solver and i want to know the metrics And i'm very have a tendency just to want the data behind the answer or like the excuse or the job or the process that's getting done but as you start to get bigger than yourself i guess you know there's this that cap i think Ray dalio talks about it like zero to 50 is just as hard to grow from 50 to a thousand because you got to overcome that idea that you can talk to everyone you work with and that you can understand them all and have a relationship with them all and so my pivot came there i think came by necessity to your point about being uh have a lot of perseverance you know when it comes to things i learned the hard way you know as well but i got to a point where i was like i don't know what's going on everywhere and i had to admit like i can't handle more than forty thousand emails a month like that's my limit evidently but when you do that you say okay well then how do you keep control of the company and where it's going and getting everyone on the same page and I think to what you're talking about earlier, and we've definitely honed these even through the Chris Experience program, is that you gotta understand job titles aren't responsibilities and accountabilities. You know, that's different. It's like director of ops, you can't just say go. You know, like that's one, one thing you have to actually tell them what you do here. Externally, you have know, to me, job titles are more external. And then you have to get in the core values, which is everything not on somebody's list. How do you make those micro decisions? And then it comes to your external, just to your point, which is brand. And I've had a huge shift from digital marketing, doing a lot of SEO where everything is touch point and cross-channel attribution and multi-touch. And then you start realizing that things like brand uh, that are hard to measure actually lift the top line like revenue and everything else. And so, sure, I like the idea of maybe measuring it someday. But yeah, you got you to gotta respect that a brand and a narrative and the feeling and why you do everything in this culture becomes more important than the economics or the math behind it. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about brand. Bob, you've, you've had uh, involvement, I know you tied
1: in with the George Bulldogs and a few other affiliations. What's been kind of your strategy as far as growing the brand?
4: You know, you guys start with what's your vision? What are you standing for? What do you want to do different? I think growing the brand is just who you are and you want to get it out there and explain your way of doing things. You know, that's why we started the M&T way. Um, mm-hmm. as our process internally of uh, how we're going to do stuff. It's also external. It tells clients what you should expect when you come here. And I think it's critical that you stand for something. There's a lot of different ways to approach a case in family law. You know, there's firms that will fight hard, there's um, ones, though, that will try to settle too quickly. You got to find what you want to stand for. What is that unique uh, buying proposition that you talked about? And Alex, I know you've kind of undergone a, a brand shift, right? For many years,
1: being known as kind of the, the volume based advertiser. Now, I mean, you're quite literally named the firm Alexander Shinara
3: Trial Attorneys. Well, I mean, we changed our brand. You know, we were a pre-lit firm for a long time. It worked well. But then as the insurance companies tightened up, we, know we built a litigation team. And I think we built a great litigation team based on the verdicts we've had, the cases we try all over the country. But I mean, we are a brand. Mine is kind of synonymous because my name and my firm is the exact same. But, you know, it's what do you stand for? Excellence, excellent legal services. We'll fight for you. We'll go to war for you. And to actually back up everything you say and do. So I'm curious, actually, to to follow up with that. It's interesting you made that shift, and
1: we talked about this, even even John Morgan seems to be making the shift, away from pre-lit to focusing on
3: trying cases. Well, I mean, if you wanted to do it from a data standpoint, if you looked at it from a data standpoint, I mean, there's no doubt that anyone in this room will tell you, you're always going to make, you're going to settle the cases for more money if you litigate the cases. Insurance companies just make business decisions. And honestly, right now, they're defending them, they're denying them, they're delaying them. So we're forced into litigating them. And Eric, I agree just as you've grown the
1: brand, you've also had partnership with Najee Harris and like, how would you define the the Chafel Humana brand?
2: Yeah, look, I, I think for us, uh, we defined the brand very early, doing good by doing right. It's a focal point for our core values. It's what we are as a firm. You know, you can't seek justice in the world, unless you do justice in the process. That's our belief. You know, it comes from being compassionate, caring to our clients, to uh, just excellence in I'm amazed as somebody who's worked with Crisp now for four years, and I think early on, we actually need to clarify our vision, make sure it's communicated across our team. But now I've taught some intensives for Crisp for about a year now, and I think two different groups, about 50 um, lawyers in each group, uh, say so about 100 different firms, I think, something like that. And I'm just amazed by the lawyers that come up to me and they say, you know, I've lost sight on why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, it's become about the money. It's become a grind. My team doesn't enjoy it. We're not enjoying it. And so if you don't know what you're about, and believe me, I'll first to say, like at some point I've got lost in that myself. We all do. You know, you become complacent. You know, figure that out. Do that Vision Day with Crisp. It's been phenomenal for us. That was about four years ago. And it's really, it's the rocket fuel as you described for you guys at, uh, at Crisp, Michael. And it's, uh, it's been really great for us. Now, the thing that's always impressed me about all of you is just the fact that you're all very
1: successful. You can have egos the size of this stadium and who could blame you. But how have you remained... Humble and open and willing to share and transparent—all
2: these different things, Eric. I'll start with you. Uh, I'll ask everyone. Yeah, look, it's something that, as I said to you, Michael, and I think our podcast—you know—it's someone. I'm 51 years old, and for about 40 years, I actually didn't openly talk about the fact that I was sexually abused at age five. So now I'm actually able to talk about it. It's something that I think the first time I spoke about it pub- publicly was after a glass walk at it, uh, it a crisp X group, you know, guys like these guys and others, um, certainly the safety of actually being able to speak publicly about it was really important to me. And so going through that, I mean, you carry a lot, you carry insecurities as Dave Goggins would say, and um, staying humble, I think is understanding that everybody goes through some adversity in their lives. They can, we can all identify with it. Uh, looking out at the crowd and seeing familiar faces, I know the struggles of many people in this room. And so, you know, if you're kind with yourself, kind with others, um, it's the best dose of humility. And uh, we're all human. And, I, and Michael, I applaud you for your vulnerability. I have to say back in 2018, when I was at a summit, sitting in chairs like all of you here and seeing Michael, who is a great salesperson. Candidly, Michael, I think I've said this to you I was a little turned off because I'm not a salesperson in that way. And I've come to learn that, you know, you are a really genuine caring person as is Jess. And as I said, it's uh, you guys create a safe place for, for people like me to be vulnerable. And, I think as as individuals, as leaders, unless you really deal with those things for yourself, you can't be the best leader, can't be the best spouse, you can't be the best father. And so I'm really grateful for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well said. Alex,
3: how do you remain humble? Well, I believe that ego stands for edging God out. I think that if you don't humble yourself, you'll be humbled. Uh, I don't think you'll be very successful in business. You know, you were asking earlier, the reason that I stay motivated on a daily basis is I feel that, I mean, I truly mean this. I have a responsibility to 125 attorneys and 400 staff members and a lot of people rely on me, my family. And if I mean, if that doesn't get you motivated, then nothing will get you motivated. And I take that as a serious responsibility in regards to continuing to learn. I mean, I'm I guess I'm smart enough to understand that I don't know everything. I really don't know too much. You know, when I joined CRISP about four years ago, Michael was, has been instrumental for my firm in four years. I mean, he has made us much better. I truly believe this. I've always said, if you can have an A-plus person in every seat and not get any more cases, that we would double our revenue. I think you could triple, but we'll just say double. And I know what that means. And so with, you know, with your help, and I wanna thank you sincerely, teaching us how to hire people properly, putting in the KPIs, building our C-suites and our infrastructure. I think you're a big reason that in just four years, we went from about $50 million in revenue to $80 million. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
4: All right, Bob. You know, I never think about it in terms of where I am. I always think about where I want to be. You know, what was the mission of our firm? You know one of our key principles is we want to improve access to justice i look at the family law field and you know 50 percent are unrepresented they can't afford an attorney of any type one of our goals is to find a way to minimize that find a way to help people across the board and it's not easy but i i feel like my mission's so far to go um i don't even pause to think about where we are i got a great team i uh, appreciate the folks that came here today it takes a step it takes a village it really does take everyone growing in the same direction to get to where you want to be i don't really think about it just think about what can we accomplish tomorrow
0: that's right aj that's interesting uh do you know when we met michael do you remember it's no. funny i had to look it back <laughs> up to be to confirm but we actually you called me through a tech buddy i think pitching me like like facebook advertising or something like that at the time I and mean, it was like 2014. Uh, yeah. very, yes sure i think you were still shooting some of these videos yep and then it took very many years later before you know yes. chris we started working together so I, I do, I, I've seen the same journey for you. We're very similar persons, like personality types. So like, I also get that vulnerability is like one of our hardest things to do, with our personality types. And so I was thinking the same thing, even like sharing stuff about your family and getting into your values. And that, that's leading me up to the humility is that I call my three daughters my social experiments because it, it's also, it's always interesting when you get into very complicated things at work and you go, you know who'll give you an honest answer? Kids, you know, so you boil down the question to something they will answer you. And it's very interesting to hear their feedback. It also gives you a lot of insight on how the world is very different. It's gonna make me sound old, like it's not your dad's world. But so I think about it in two, two reasons why people go the wrong way that I wasn't smart enough to learn, you know, until much later on in life. But I think with everything in social media and everything going on and the information gathered right now, to your point, the first thing in the pyramid you can do is to have freedom and money. And so when people think that way, most people don't get there. So that's like, that becomes that only thing. And that's very misleading just from a purpose standpoint, you know? So we already have that disadvantage for a lot of the younger generation, of lot of kids, it's getting worse and worse. And then, you know, to say that I wasn't wise enough to know this until I kind of got there, it was like, you get to the point in, in business and everything else. When you say, I guess I could just quit and you realize that would be boring. Like have all the money in the world and show you a guy that lacks for nothing and hates himself, you know, like that kind of thing. So I think I got to the point where I was like, I could choose that path, like slowly go retire and live next to Morgan and Honolulu, wherever or figure out what my purpose was. And I spent probably a good part of a year really, that was the only reason I probably ever stopped to look back and go, oh, it's not about the money or whatever. I like the joke about entrepreneurs, that they, they trade a 40 hour work week <laughs> for 120 hour week week for less money and less freedom. <laughs> but no, I think humility comes from like that perspective or experience that shows you money's not what makes the man. You know, and so it's like, what, what defines you, what do you live by and what's important? And that, that reminds me all the time. I want to give a huge
1: thank you to AJ, Alex, Bob, and Eric for taking the time to share their wisdom and insights with us at the 2022 Crisp Game Changers Summit. And I want to thank you, yes, you, for listening to this episode and for your commitment to growing as a leader. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on these innovative legal leaders and other highlights from this year's Game Changer Summit, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com.